My name is Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. Grab a Bible and go to Exodus chapter 20. If you have one of these blue Bibles in the seat in front of you, it'll be page 35. We are back in the book of Exodus. We took a few weeks off around Easter, but we are working our way through Exodus, and we've slowed down some as we've hit the law, and we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments. And we have covered the first four, and the first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. Who he is, who we are, how we're to relate to him, how we're to worship him. And the, the last six commandments deal with our relationship with each other. So it's, there's a vertical aspect of the Ten Commandments and there's this horizontal relational aspect of the Ten Commandments. And we are in the fifth commandment today. Uh, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he says, and the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law. And the law grows out of the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments is structured in that way. The first four are to love the Lord our God, and the last six are to love our neighbor and how to do that. And so let's read. It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I'm going to read that one more time. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, Lord, uh, let's pray together. Um, Lord, we, we're thankful for the way you designed the world to work. We're thankful for the way you designed families to work. I know as we read this that there's uh, much difficulty um, in... How do we apply this? How do we live this out? There's much pain in these relationships. There's a lot of joy in these relationships. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to listen well to your word this morning, grow together as we seek to submit to you and to have the blessing that comes with honoring our fathers and mothers. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So we said when we first started off looking at the Ten Commandments, that there are different moral foundations for uh, how are we to understand what is right and what is wrong. And we said that there was a book called The Righteous Mind, where it was a guy who's doing clinical psychologist who was just studying this. He was studying the psychology of morality, and he came up with categories. And we said that those categories were helpful and that you see them in the Bible, although they're not listed out that way in the Bible. And that, in general, God has all the categories, and then cultures focus on, highlight different ones. And so we showed you this chart. This is Western cultures, the cultures that we're in right now. The categories are at the bottom, care and harm, fairness, loyalty, authority, and sanctity. But we're primarily versed in, trained in, we know all the lyrics to care and harm and fairness. We we are concerned with justice, with equity. We're concerned with, does everybody get a fair shake? These are things that we discuss. Does everybody have an equal opportunity? These are things that we are worried about. And we are worried about harming someone. We know that that's immoral to harm someone. We say, do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't hurt someone. Like, we, we're practiced in this, but this commandment rests in authority, which in general... We're pretty low in. If I was actually to to ask you or ask the average American to list off, what are the dangers that come along with authority? What are the things that are immoral and wrong that go along with authority? Most of us would turn this direction and talk about the abuse of authority. That those who are in authority 
lord it over others. Those who are in authority abuse their authority, that people are uh, oppressed because of authority. You would not have many people who would turn this direction and go, the rejection of good authority is harmful. We need more authority and we need more submission to authority. Uh, Imagine for a moment that you are at a child's birthday party. For some of you, this is not difficult to imagine. You've been to four this month. You raise your children, and then you hang out with their friends on the weekend. Um, But imagine you're at a child's birthday party, and you see a mother, and she's wearing a shirt that says, Raise them kind. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to raise your children. No problem with that. That's a general good concept, like raise them kind. You might think, that's a little bold to think you need to wear that, like you got to coach up all the other parents. Let's see how kind your kid's being. But then that's just because you're a little aggressive and have some problems, that's fine. But in general, it's a good statement. Nothing wrong with that t-shirt. It's a good idea. We should raise your children kind. But imagine you're at the party, and, and that's not what her shirt says. Her shirt says, raise them obedient. Now, immediately, we're like, hmm. I know that's not a mass-produced shirt, so you went out of your way to make it. Um, obedient how? Obedient to whom? Obedient why? Obedient all the time. Like we have... Honestly, the shirt could say, overthrow the government, and we would give that less thought than raise them obedient. (laughs) And that tells you something about our culture and about our approach to understanding, respecting, and valuing good authority. Because the Bible is not anti-authority. It's anti-bad authority, but it's pro-good authority. It just... Bad things are bad and good things are good, which isn't super insightful. So we need to understand what, what is good authority and why has God designed it this way. So as we study this, I think the first thing we need to see, it says, honor your father and your mother. I think the first thing we have to ask is, what does the word honor mean? What is that word? Well, the word is kaved, and it means heavy or weighty. Uh, There are a few times where it's used that way, like um, in Genesis, somebody's eyes are uh, conveyed with age, which means heavy with age. They can't see well. In Sodom and Gomorrah, their sin is described as conveyed, and it's translated grievous. But mostly, this word is used to mean glory, honor. It's mostly used the way we're supposed to treat God, that we're supposed to honor God. God. We're supposed to respect God. We're supposed to approach him that he holds the weight. I don't know if you've ever been in situations where you could tell that the room tilted to one person. They were the weighty person at the table. They were the weighty person in decision making. People would discuss things, but then they would all look to one person to like, you're the person who's actually going to decide this. And that's what's meant to happen with parents, that they're to have weight, that they're to have glory. And If that's the word that's primarily used for how we're to treat God, you have to understand that this is learned in your relationship with your parents. That they're the the they set the framework, they're the first people you know, they're your primary relationship. They set the framework for how is this ultimately going to translate into the rest of life and how is this ultimately going to translate into worshiping the Lord. The second part of this, if that's what honor means, that weightiness would shift to them. I I think we do need to acknowledge. That in much of our culture and in much of our relationships, we flip this and that our children hold a lot of weight. A lot of families are built around, what do the kids want? What do they want to watch? What do they want to eat? What do they want to do with their time? What are the kids doing? Our whole culture has shifted towards youth culture. We are not a culture that reveres elderly people. 
when we ought to, and the Bible calls us to that, but we're not a culture that does that. We argue that they, you know, got to move out of the way, make room for the next big thing. We, in our consumeristic culture, we aim everything at like 15 to 25-year-olds. And so we have some work to do to try to learn how to apply this. But the second part of this is that there's a promise. It says, honor your father and your mother that, the days, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And that's not just the, I brought you into this world, I'll snatch you out of it. God's saying something more here. Ephesians 6, when Paul's writing about this, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Meaning this is a godly thing to do even as Christians. We anchor it in Christ. For this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's a promise attached to this commandment. And it's not simply a one-to-one promise. It is generally true for each child, if they learn how to do this, it blesses them. It helps them live long in the land. It helps life go well with them. But it's not a specific one-to-one promise. It's not like if you meet someone who's 100, that means definitively they were excellent at obeying. Or if someone's life is tragically cut short, that we can be like, well, I guess you didn't eat all your peas at home. when you're. It's not how that works. It's not a direct one-to-one thing. It's a promise to the nation. That's why he says, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That this is a blessing to the people. And that makes a lot of sense. Your initial primary relationship is to your parents. It is where you learn what relationships are like. And so, it's a proving ground, a practice ground, for what this should look like. And it's bad for society when children do not learn how to respect the authority of their parents. Augustine, who's an African church father, says, If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? This is why it has a capital offense. Execution is applied in cases of rejection of authority of parents in Exodus, in Leviticus, and in Deuteronomy. For cursing your parents, striking your parents, and long lifetime rejection and rebellion against your parents, all of those are capital offenses. One of them, it actually says, bring them together, stone them, and let the community see and fear. But it's not a far jump to understand that if we raise sons who don't learn to respect authority, if we raise sons who don't learn how to uh, understand where boundaries are, Specifically mothers, if you raise sons that don't have to listen to you and they never learn to to follow a boundary set by another lady, it's not a far jump to understand how that translates into society. And so this is the place where we are to learn to live in relationships. And there's a promise of blessing when we do this well, that the, the nation is blessed. Kevin DeYoung, who I'll quote a few times because he wrote, he's a pastor and wrote a, a book on the Ten Commandments, and I thought some of his insight was helpful. He said, it's not too much to say that loving your neighbor begins with mom and dad. I think that's helpful to understand why this matters. So we're going to ask three questions today. We're going to try to answer three questions today. How do we honor our parents? How do we raise children to honor us? And what do we do when our parents are dishonorable? How do we honor our parents? How do we raise our children to honor us? And what do we do when our parents are dishonorable? Okay, first question, how do we honor our parents? John Calvin says that this word honor 
includes three things, and I think they're helpful for trying to break it out a little bit. Reverence, obedience, and gratitude. So good handles on what should honor look like, reverence, obedience, and gratitude. Reverence, you show them respect. You show them deference. You treat them the way you would treat, think of someone that like if you met the president, how would you act? That's the weight that's supposed to shift towards your parents. Some, some sincere, genuine honor, glory, weightiness. Reverence. It means that we should watch how you speak to your parents. There should be yes sirs and yes ma'ams. There should be, uh, you shouldn't cut them off when they're talking. You shouldn't disregard what they say. You shouldn't roll your eyes. You should stop and let them speak. You should hear them out. There should be genuine respect in how we speak to and interact with our parents. You should watch how you speak, not only to your parents, but about your parents. Some of us are in a habit of dissecting our parents, belittling our parents, speaking ill of our parents, and it's dishonoring. And we need to be careful that we honor our parents. They are to be treated with reverence. My granddad was a missionary in Nigeria, and he, uh, I was at his house for Christmas, and somebody came by, and he said, when did they get here? And I was like, I think they've been here. It was one of my cousins. And he said, I miss Nigeria. And I was like, why? He said, you didn't go to a house without first presenting yourself to the Baba, and you didn't leave a house without presenting yourself to the Baba. And he's like, I don't like people just being in my house. So they need to come present themselves to me. <laughs> and culturally, we don't have a lot of that, but we need to figure out as Christians... How to, how to build in respect and deference to our parents. So, reverence. Obedience. Do what they tell you to do. This is specifically most clear for the children that live at home with your parents right now. When they ask you questions like, will you sweep? It's, the, it's not really a question. You just say yes. Not, no thank you. <laughs> when they say, go do this, you go do it. It shouldn't be a, a labored discussion. You should obey, and you should obey when you're asked to do something. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You should, um, no huffing, no stomping, no eye rolling, no groaning. It shouldn't be, hey, I need you to go do this, and you go, Ugh. That's irreverent, dishonoring. You are to obey. Now, immediate. American question is, ooh, what are the limits on obedience? What if I'm getting older? What are the, like, how much do I obey? That's great. For, I'm glad you said that to my kids. But me, obey, I'm older. How do, I, how do I do that in relation to my parents? I will say, I think Kevin DeYoung has a helpful point here. So I'm going to read his quote. He said, parents should not expect the same obedience from grown children as they did when their children were young. So for those of you who have grown children, you can't call them up and say, hey, my pastor said, obey your parents, clean your room. <laughs> Quit that job I hate. Break up with that person I dislike. And come back here. Like you can't, it's not going to be exactly that. He says, we see a divine design in Genesis that Jesus later reiterates in Matthew 19. 
A man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There is a making of your own household that loosens the obedience, but you still have to operate in the honor category. And I will submit to you that because that is often our first question, it is not something we are in drastic danger of. What I mean is, I don't think there's many people in this room who have become adults and think, I just got to learn how to not immediately, directly obey everything my parents tell me to do. That's the thing I have a problem with. I would submit to you that you actually need to begin heading in the other direction and start showing more honor and obedience to your adult parents in a gracious way. Because we don't celebrate that culturally, but there is a need for some of that even as you are older, in a way to show deference and honor to your parents. It's difficult, should be carried out with wisdom, but it is a way to honor our parents, even as we grow older and as they grow older. Third one, gratitude. Be thankful. Y'all, I have two sons, and I'm not exaggerating that I have literally, not figuratively, saved their lives Thousands of times. (laughs) Sometimes multiple times in the same day. Should I wear a cape? Probably. (laughs) But this is parenting. You are here because your parents, literally not figuratively, saved your lives thousands of times. Mostly what your parents did. We're going to talk about some mistakes and some sins. We're going to talk about that in a little while. For most of us, mostly what your parents did is try their best, feed you, clothe you, help you go to school, sought to help you succeed in life, gave you counsel that you disliked because they like you, told you things you did not want to hear because they love you. Mostly what your parents did was lose their hair, give up their waistline, give up their money, Give up their time so that you could exist as a real person in the world. And they need to be told, thank you. They need to be treated with some appreciation and gratitude. And for those of you who live at home with your parents, everybody can make a phone call today. Everybody can set up a meal. Everybody can just say, hey, I want to talk a little bit. I want to check in and see how things are going. Everybody can do that potentially. But for those of you who live at home with your parents, you will have multiple opportunities this very day to say thank you. Because I'm willing to bet that your parents go out of their way quite often to help your life be better. It's quite possible when you get home, there will be food there. There will be some clothes there. There will be parents there genuinely trying to help you enjoy life and succeed in life. And there will be many opportunities for you to just say thank you. They fix a meal that you don't like. Well, guess what? They still fed you, so you don't have to say, I don't like this meal. You can say, thank you for cooking. Yeah. (laughs) You can show gratitude for the care that is offered you, and we ought to. So how do we honor our parents? Reverence, obedience, and gratitude. Next question. How do we raise our children to honor us? If your children are going to obey their parents, if they're going to honor their parents, they're going to be taught to do this by their parents. Because you teach them everything. 
You do this all the time. And so you have to understand that this is a thing that you ought to be teaching them for their good. The reason you do this is not because they will annoy you if you don't. That's just a perk. It's not the reason. The reason you do this is because you want them to to live well and long in the land. You want them to have joy. You want them to have life. That's the whole thing that you're doing all the time with your children, is you're working for their good. And so this has to be added as a category of a thing that you're going to help them do. And we're not set up well as Americans to do this because the wielding of authority makes you feel uncomfortable potentially. There's a potential for you to feel like, I just feel so bossy. I feel so demanding. I feel like I'm just in my child's way. We've been trained by our culture that what your job as a parent to do is to help your child blossom into the person they're going to be. Help them find themselves. Almost, in some ways, they're perfect on their own. You just kind of get out of their way. We're taught that your parents mess you up. They don't help you. Y'all, we're Christians. We know that's nonsense. If your child figures out who they are on their own, we know what that is. A sinner. Look at little Timmy. He's blossomed into a real jerk. (laughs) Well, I'm glad God gave him some parents. Somebody needs to help him out. Because on their own, they're not just going to find every good and perfect way that God has designed for there to be some good authority in their life. And so you need to understand that this is one of the roles that you occupy. And you do this naturally with other things. You're you're doing this all the time with your children. You're helping them know what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is not. And you need to understand that part of that is that they would honor and respect you. And that's not prideful. It's good for them. So this is how we, oh, I want to, there's four C's we're going to talk about. I want to say them to you quickly, and then we'll get into running through them fairly quickly as well. You need consistency. This is four keys to helpfully trying to train your children to honor and to respect, to obey. Consistency, correction, consequences, and celebration. The last one could be reward, but then it wouldn't be four C's, so you're welcome. Four C's. All right, here's what we often do in parenting. This is what parenting should look like, sorry. Freedom should increase with age. When your children are little, when they're first born, they have no choices whatsoever. The older they get, they should have more choices. But two and three and four-year-olds should have very limited choices. Do you want to go to bed now, or do you want to read a book first and then go to bed? Do you want to eat green beans or corn? These are, do you want this haircut or this haircut? You want me to tighten it up or shave it all off? Those are the choices I give my sons. Like, what? you got some limited choices. Sometimes they have no choices at all. Eat this. I don't like this. No, that was incorrect. You're supposed to say thank you. Sometimes they have no choices. I give this choice to my children uh, uh, quite a lot when we went out to restaurants. I would say, you can calm down and eat your food with a good attitude. Or we can go outside. I will spank you. And then we will come back inside and you will calm down and eat your food with a good attitude. (laughs) Which would you like to do? And I had someone tell me one time, we left, and they said, that was really manipulative. And I said, no, it was not. Those were his actual choices. He had no third option. And I'm trying to help him learn how to choose well. But over time, we increase the freedom. The hope being that when it's time to leave our house, they're ready. They know how to make choices. We've helped get them there. We've helped them think through that. But here's what happens quite often is this chart. We start off, no rules, let them just figure it out, because a defiant three-year-old is cute. 
They're a rascal. A defiant little mischievous four-year-old in so, way, so many ways is precious because they can't, they can't really harm you. They can't really harm the people around them. They can be aggravating and frustrating, but you love them. And so often, as a parent, you're just like, oh, well, you know. But the problem is, at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, those cute behaviors of rebellion and defiance and disrespect are not cute. They are dangerous. And you freak out. And you clamp down. Well, then no phone, no, no, you bring the hammer down. And it doesn't go well. And your problem is not a new problem. You say, what is going on with them? It's like, no, this has been going on for 12 years. So we don't want this chart. If you're there, by God's grace, you can labor well. But the hope being that we would have the other chart. So let's go through really quickly. Consistency. All that means is do the same thing all the time, all the time, all the time. Isn't that tiring? Yes, it is exhausting. You have to have the same rules all the time, whether you are tired or they are tired. Whether you have eaten and whether they have eaten. Like these, are the, these have to be the same all the time. Otherwise, they don't know where the boundaries are. It's a good way to make somebody psychotic. You've got to have some good structure on this is what this looks like. All the, all the, all the time. I, uh, my, when my oldest son was three and four, I'd wake up in the morning, stretch, lace my shoes up because I was about to fight a three-year-old for 12 hours. He was not easy. There's a, there's a quote from Jurassic Park when they're talking to the game warden, and they ask, are the velociraptors smart? And he goes, oh, they're smart. And he looks at them and he says, they were testing the fences for weaknesses systematically, and they remember. <laughs> that was my four-year-old. So the fence had to be there every day, all the time. And I would just look at him and go, it hadn't moved. Like, we're gonna, you want to keep running into it. It's the same thing, but it has to stay. So you need consistent correction. You correct your children all the time. You say things like, no, that's not green, that's blue. No, that, no, no that's not a cat, that's a dog. You, you, you're already all the time correcting your children. One of the things that you have to put in there is that you correct them on disrespect. You say to them, I have my oldest son at times will just come in hot with a question. He'll start off with, okay, but why did I say, ha, 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 Stop. I say, try again. I'm your daddy. You want to talk to Ellis like that? Go for it. Or I'll, I'll say, oh, boy, who are you talking to? He'll say, mama. And I'll go, okay, no, no, you ain't. Not like that. Sometimes I say, who are you talking to? And he'll go, Ellis. I'll go, all right, carry on. <laughs> but you just correct you just say, that's not how, no, 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 that's not how you respond. Like, I'm telling you, I've given my boys food, and they'll say, I don't like this. And I'll say, no, 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 that's incorrect. That's not how you respond when someone gives you food. Because you want people to feed you, and you're dependent on other people to feed you. What do you say when people give you food? Thank you. There you go. You nailed it. And it's just correction. Because you expect that they're going to have to operate in a way, because you're working towards their joy, that you're going to train them up to understand how to live a life where there's authority. Because, y'all, your world is a fake little world where you have to mimic some of the real-world things because you're going to send them out into the real world. If you don't train your children how to interact with people, all the people in their life who do not love them will teach them. And they will teach them by not being their friend. They will teach them by being really mean to them. Every teacher they have will stare at them with this angry look. Every face they meet, people won't want to watch. I've explained to my boys before, if you don't learn how to listen to me, your granddad won't take you fishing. 
And he won't tell you he's not taking you fishing, but he'll think, hmm, should I take them fishing? And then he'll think, no, because they're the most aggravating children in the world. And he won't call you up and say this to you. You just won't get invited. And he loves you, and I love you, and I want you to get to go fishing, so do what I'm telling you to. You coach him up. That's the whole point. Okay. Consequences. Should be consistent consequences. And celebration. This is very simple. Good behavior should get good results, and bad behavior should get bad results. That's it. And you just need to think through, was this a good behavior? How does it get a good result? Was this a bad behavior? How does it get a bad result? And you have to do that all the time. So, the thing that I said about the restaurants, that's true. I've done that with both of my sons. Because I want us to be able to go eat at restaurants. It's one of my wife and I's favorite things. If we get more disposable income, we just eat more, y'all. <laughs> but that's it. And so I want to be able to eat at a restaurant. And they'll terrorize me. So if they throw a fit at a restaurant and I pick him up and take him outside and let him play in the grass, guess who's going to throw a fit at a restaurant again? Because he got a reward. If you've ever watched me taking a child out of a restaurant who is screaming, they're already screaming, I'm pinching their leg so that you can't see. You just think he's throwing a fit on his own. He is not enjoying the walk outside. Because I don't want him to think that this is a good thing to have happen. I'll pinch his leg real hard, but just enough to like it's uncomfortable. I'm not trying to harm him. It's just got to be a negative consequence. We get outside, we talk, often they get popped, we bring them back. I've done this. I've ruined whole meals like this. Because I don't want every meal ruined. And I want them to learn this isn't a good behavior. There's a, there's a better one. So there should be consequences. And you should have them and know what they are. You should have set ones. Your children should know what they are. I was hanging out. Uh, it was one of the first times I ever met uh, this guy who ends up, he ended up joining our community group. And his daughters were there and they were doing something. And he told them to stop. And they, said, they kept on. And he looked at him and said, do you want a consequence? And they both went like this and went, no, sir. Now, I didn't know what the consequence was, but they knew what the consequence was. I asked him later. He said sometimes he just uses the word consequence, so it gives him time to make up what it's going to be, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. He doesn't like signing himself up for something he's going to have to stick to in the moment, so he just says consequence, and he'll figure it out later. But they knew there was going to be one, and that's all I'm saying is you've got to figure out real consequences that actually translate, help them understand. That's the whole point, because there are real-life consequences to all the things they're going to do. For example... Uh, if I tell you to sit down and you don't sit down, or if I tell you to come to me and you don't come to me, there's going to be a consequence. And I try to explain to my sons, one day we're going to be in a parking lot. And I'm going to say, stop. And if we haven't practiced this a thousand times in our house, you're going to get hit by a truck. And I don't want you to get hit by a truck. So you're going to get hit a little bit at my house with my hand popped, just a little, so that there's a deterrent so that we don't ever get there. And that's, the, that's what I'm talking about. And for you, it may be time out. For you, it's just got to be real to them. That's all. All right. Greater consequences for defiance and rebellion. If you saw your son, I came in the other day, I saw my younger son holding some of the sharpest tweezers I've ever seen in my entire life, and he was near his brother's face. I have no clue what they were doing. But on the off chance it was eye surgery... I walked in, I saw that, and I went, hey, no, uh-uh. You know, sometimes you just make noises at your children because you don't have words, <laughs> or the words you have aren't good ones to shout. So you just go, hop, 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 hop. hands up, put the tweezers down. 
And I do that because the risk levels through the roof. Well, I at one point had to explain to my wife, I said, hey, I've realized something. I'm going to have to crank up the intensity on some of the things with our children. It's not because I've lost my cool or I'm enraged. It's because what they're doing needs to be met in their mind with the same amount of intensity because it's got the same amount of problems coming down the line. One of my sons turns and yells at his mother, no, I am up out of my chair. Boy, have you lost your mind? Because I want him to understand this same level of, this is not okay. I need him to do like this for just a second. And then we get to the next part, which is celebration. Your house, if it's going to have consistent correction and consequences, needs consistent celebration. It needs to be a place of joy. That's what you want. So good things need good results. You need to celebrate. I often, after disciplining my children, well, well then I'll hold them. I'll say, look, I love you. I want good things for you. I'm not out to get you. I want our home to be a happy place. I'll tell them all the time after they get disciplined. I say, look, we're going back out there, and we're reset. This isn't going to hang over our head all day. This is a fun place. This is joy here. Y'all, if I, <laughs> I learned I used to look at my little babies, and I'd be like, you're going to eat that food. Because they fight you over every little thing. And then they would eat it, and I would just stare at them like, you're darn right, you're going to eat the food. And I realized I was so messed up. They just did what I asked. So they eat it, and then I go, good job. Yeah. I, multiple occasions with my son, I've said, do you want to leave the restaurant, go get spanked? Do you want to calm down and eat your own food? And they go, calm down and eat my own food. And I go, that's so smart. That's what I would have picked. <laughs> I'm proud of you. That's brilliant. Do that. Because it's the truth. There ought to be times where you brag on your children. Make it a rule. Don't speak negatively about your children in front of your children. Speak positively about your children in front of your children. Brag on them to your spouse. Do you know what he did? Do you know how good he did? You can watch them swell up. When you're going to rehearse something with them, rehearse what they're going to do that's good. I'll put them in bed at night. And instead of just saying, if you get out of bed again and run down the hall, you're going to get popped. What I'll say is, hey, you're going to do a really good job tonight. You're going to lay in bed. You're going to calm down. You're going to go to sleep. We're going to have an enjoyable night. This is the moment that's going to end our night. This hug. You're not going to have to get popped. We're going to build in that direction. But there should be celebration. Sometimes it's a high five. Sometimes it's a smile. Sometimes it's ice cream. You pick. Sometimes it's an extra book at night or whatever. Sometimes it's uh, they get to go on a trip. As they're older kids, you get to do. I know most of my illustrations are, I got illustrations up to eight. I'll get them more as I go over time. But you think about it. What's a real celebration? What's a real way to honor this? What's a real way? Because, y'all, it's not bribery. It's how the world works. Bad behavior gets bad results. Good behavior gets good results, and you want to train that. One last one. I know we got a lot of parents with smaller children. One of the rules at my house is if you pout or cry or throw a fit, you don't get whatever you were pouting, crying, or throwing a fit for. And that's just simply that. I don't want to train you that in order to be happy, you have to be miserable. It's a weird psychological thing. So we just learn you can be okay without getting the thing you want. And if you throw a fit for it, you won't get it. But those sort of rules, you design your own. They're your children. They just should have consistent things because we love them and God has designed for them to have a family. We have, uh, Isaac and Spencer worked really hard to get a roadmap for parenting that is designed off of the age of your children, things you should be talking to them about, things they should know about Jesus. It's on our website. You should use that. You need all the help you can get. We all do. And you should help train your children to love you, to respect and honor you, uh, both mother and father.
Um, specifically to dads, don't get in a situation where you make it a point of pride that your children listen to you and they don't listen to their mother. Don't do that. You help design a household where they listen to their mother as well because they're supposed to honor both their father and mother and there needs training in that. Okay. What do we do when our parents are dishonorable? God, by design, on purpose, made it to where your parents have great weight in your life. And parents, that's a, that's a heavy weight you need to understand for your children. He, by design, made it to where what you do and say matters. And that's good when it's good, and that's bad when it's bad. Uh, it's like when you go to take a test, and this one's 50% of your grade for the whole semester. That's kind of how parenting works. It's, parents have a lot of impact on their children. And so for some of us, that means that there were things that our parents did, for most of us, there were things that our parents did that were hurtful, stuck with us, changed how we thought about ourselves, changed how we understood our place in the world. So, some in this room had truly, genuinely horrific parents. That when I was saying earlier that mostly what they did was care for you, that that wasn't even true. And I'm sorry. Because that was not God's good design, but we live in a fallen world. But if that's on this end, even as you come back this way, all of us have things that our parents did that they said, that they did, that they responded. Our parents are sinners who made mistakes, who had lapses of judgment. For, for many of you, your parents might have had you when they were quite young and just figuring it out. Some of you might have had parents that weren't Christians or became Christians later in life. Some of us had parents who had uh, addiction issues, anxiety issues, problems with how they treated and spoke to people. Like, we grew up in difficult situations. So what do we do? For those who are currently at home with parents like this, or for when you're thinking through how, how are you to understand obedience in those sort of situations, I want to read, as we first start looking at this, I want to read a quote from Kevin DeYoung. He says, are there limits to honoring parents? In a word, yes. Authority can be abused. In Acts chapter 5, we see a principle that has to do with governments, but also parents, church leadership, and any other authority over us. If the choice is between obeying God or obeying men, we obey God. If your, if your parents command you to do what God forbids or forbid what God commands, you cannot and must not obey your parents. I'm going to read that again. If your parents command you to do what God forbids or forbid what God commands, you cannot and must not obey your parents. But even in those hopefully rare cases... There's still a way to be respectful and honor your parents, even if they are asking something of you that they don't have the authority to ask. Yes, there is a limit to obedience, but as we follow this command, we are all called to honor, to show respect, which is extremely painful to consider in some cases. And what I would like to submit to you is that you cannot do this outside of Christ, but in Christ, we can do something that is radically countercultural. We can honor parents who do not deserve it, which does not 
translate. It is not a conclusion you will come to in our culture. But it is a conclusion that we can come to and something that we can operate in as Christians in a way that is counterculturally brings great glory to Christ, displays the love of the Father, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You see, often we are trained culturally to dissect our parents, to play up their weaknesses and the things they did to harm us, and to understand that those have changed us in an immutable way, that we are forever marked by what they did. But as Christians, we understand that Christ changes us, that he renews us, that he covers not only the things that we've done, but the things that have been done to us, and that we get to be made new in light of his goodness. And we do not have to be forever marked, forever stained, forever held captive to what has happened to us. And that is a glorious reality in Christ. And from that position of being renewed, from the position of being adopted with a good father who loves us the way a father ought to, we get to do something that only can be done in Christ. We get to prayerfully, by the empowerment of the Spirit, extend forgiveness and grace and honor. And the reason that can only be done in Christ is because it can't be done in you. You can say all the time, I just don't have the ability to do this, and that's right. I can't forgive them. That's right. Not on your own. Not in your power. And it can't be done in them because they don't deserve it. So if it's about you or if it's about them, it won't work. There's no way to do it. But if it gets to be anchored in Christ, the love of the Father, the empowerment of the Spirit, then there gets to be grace and forgiveness. And by God's grace, Lord willing, some of us will get to lead our parents who deserve great condemnation. We'll get to lead them to Christ, who bore great condemnation so that sinners could be justified. And the only way to do that is in his goodness and in his grace. And so by God's will and by his empowerment, we can be people who honor our parents and raise children to honor us through the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our parents. We thank you for the role that you designed for them to play. We thank you for all the moms and the dads in this room who have so often failed and so often succeeded. We thank you for the role that you've given them. We pray that they would take it seriously, that they would walk in the grace that you provide. We pray specifically, Lord, for those this morning who do not have a good relationship with their parents, that you would help them to first have a good relationship with you. That they would know the grace provided them in Christ, that they would know the love of the Father, that they would know the comfort of the Spirit, and that they then, then by the empowerment of the Spirit, might begin to work to learn how to walk this out in a difficult situation. We love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The band's going to come back up, and we are going to sing together.
I know that some of you are in a difficult spot with your parents. I know that some of you are in a difficult spot with your children. And we would be happy as your pastors to help you think and help you pray and help you process. Um, so I would invite you to go on to our website to the care uh, form and fill it out. And we can get something set up with you. Um, love y'all.